0: This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. When it comes to investing, each of us does it our own unique way, and that's why TD Ameritrade offers everything you need to invest on your own terms, from award-winning technology to personalized guidance. Visit tdameritrade.com/ytda. That's tdameritrade.com/whytda to get started. Thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a collaborative hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop, and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Alison Southwick. and Today, we're taking you back to Fool Fest with advice from Motley Fool's Andy Cross and Ron Gross on when to sell a stock. All that and, well, actually, that's it on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, last year we did a series on when to sell a stock, and because of your feedback, we learned that you were hungry for even more on the topic. Thankfully, Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross, he's the advisor for Motley Fool's Total Income Service, they covered the topic at FoolFest this year. So, we're just going to go ahead and run their presentation whole cloth. It's pretty fun. Andy and Ron start off by covering some common misconceptions around selling. Enjoy!
1: We thought it'd be fun if we started with some misconceptions. Feel free to chime in here um, before we get into the real reasons why we think it'd be fair to sell. So, first you, one, right? You've this heard, is,
2: you probably, you've heard a lot of these, and, and I'm pretty sure you've said. I know I have said some of these myself. So,
1: yes, first one you hear all the time, especially if you watch CNBC, which I'm kind of going to discourage you to do, because it raises the blood pressure. They're an entertainment vehicle. They've got to maintain that hype as much as they possibly can, so you stay on that channel. I think it's counterproductive to long-term investing, but they do have some smart guys. Stock market correction is coming, so I don't know about you. My crystal ball has been broken for quite some time. 20 years If me. I had a perfect crystal ball, I might not even have one up there, because that might make sense. But uh, if history has taught us anything, it is that it is pretty much impossible to correctly predict the stock market. You'll see someone who says the market is way too high, move to cash, and then the next year the stock market is up 20%. That's a very painful decision, not only because of transaction costs, but because of capital gains um, taxes that could be triggered if it's in a non-retirement account. And the interesting thing, I was gonna bring statistics, but I didn't want to bore everyone. Um, Statistics show that over, you can pick your period of time, five, 10, 15, 20 years, a fair amount of returns are based on a small amount of days. Days where the stock market has had a significant run up. And if you happen to be out of the market on just a handful of those days, you will significantly underperform the S&P 500. And as I said in the beginning, my crystal ball just doesn't tell me uh, when to get in and get out on the the proper days. So I think it, it behooves us all to stay invested the long term and we'll get into some reasons when we talk about the short term later
2: i'm losing money you, I, I hear this from friends and family members all the time bought a stock at 26 and three weeks ago and now it's at 23 I'm, I'm getting out i don't you know uh I, I have a floor price i put in or whatever so i'm losing money so i'm getting out i'm going to sell the stock
1: yeah the, the stock market doesn't care at what price you bought a stock by the way it, um, all of your future returns in any stock you own will be based on the future none of it will be based on the past so you have to evaluate where you are today where a stock price is today and where the company goes from here the past is irrelevant to all investment decisions which is kind of hard to kind of hard to, to stomach sometimes same thing goes for i'm making money just because you're up on a stock doesn't mean you'll continue to go up doesn't mean you'll go down doesn't indicate anything, really, because that, again, is based on the past, and the past is over. Um, so you have to look for, to the future for all investment returns.
2: Who has said it? It can't go any higher. I mean, it can't. Netflix can't go it, any higher. It really can. can't. Go. NVIDIA, David talked about, it. it can't go any higher. Well, um, so again, I hear that from friends and, and family a lot, and I, and, and I have said it, and thankfully not sold some of those stocks uh, as well. So it can't go any higher.
1: I'll just get back to break even and then I'm gonna sell. That's all I want out of this, right? That really doesn't work. Because usually what's going on is that the company is doing something that is, it's not going well and you're just hanging on because you hate the concept of taking a loss. And what ends up happening is you often end up taking a bigger loss because the company just isn't operating appropriately. Um, so try to refrain from, you know, taking a loss can be painful, you know, psychology shows us that it's, it's more painful than, than, than the, the, the benefits of a gain, but still sometimes it's necessary if you're not feeling right about where a company is going.
2: And, and there are a lot of behavioral finance um, tendencies and characteristics we may may touch on with like the endowment effect because when you own something, you think it's much more valuable than someone who's willing to buy that from you. That's, that gets back to the... Uh, uh, if I can just get back to break even, the stock is fairly valued, my friend right next to me here at the Mall of the Former uh, value-driven uh, investor until he um, uh, was converted over to our side. Um, the still stock va- is still
1: a value guy. Still
2: a value guy. Stock is fairly valued. You hear that all the time. There's a, a lot of nuance to this, and we will talk a lot more about um, valuation uh, when it comes to selling. So, stock is fairly valued. I'm going to sell it.
1: Dividend cut. So. Paying a dividend or not paying a dividend is a capital allocation decision created by the board of directors and the management team. And we all love a dividend, or most of us like a, a nice dividend. And uh, when it gets cut, usually a stock will take a hit because there's usually a reason for it. However, if it is a good reason, if it is a capital allocation decision that makes sense, for example, a company should really do it to shore up its balance sheet. It just needs to you know, retain more cash, at least for the time being, that's a smart decision. It might be some painful in the short term, but it's smart. If a company decides it wants to go into acquisition mode and needs more cash on its balance sheet, then again, it's a smart time to cut. So just the knee-jerk reaction of a data cut should not be a reason to sell. You have to look under the hood to see why is this management team doing so.
2: Yeah, so again, misconceptions. Um, and I, I threw in stop loss order. Uh, we're not fans of those typically across the board. I know people do use them at times. Um, uh, we just don't think it's a, a, a good way to buy and exit stocks to set prices like that um, that, that will kick in um, if a stock goes below a certain price. So try not to use them if you can. Um, there, there are better ways to to buy and, and sell your, your stocks, um, including uh, um, options, as, as George had mentioned. But yeah, stop-loss orders, not, not big fans of those.
1: I'll just add from my hedge fund days, I, I never used stop-loss orders because I wanted to be in control of every investment decision. I didn't want anything to happen automatically. Um, and if you have stop-loss, you could get sold out of a stock that you really didn't want to. Very often, we'll see a headline come out in the morning, stock will be down 10% before the market opens, Market opens down 10%, 12%. By the time the conference call happens an hour later, stock has come back because it turns out it wasn't as bad as the headline indicated, and you get stop lost out of that company, and you're like, darn, I really shouldn't have sold that company. CRISPR yeah.
2: Therapeutics, anyone own CRISPR Therapeutics here from the port? I think that was down maybe 20% at some point, at least last to night, that- if not, and now I think it's down 6% or maybe 8%. So
1: One of my holdings, yes. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. You own CRISPR. I forgot. I
1: do, yeah. Yeah. Part of my eight company biotech basket, I recommend it.
2: So the simple truth is you make more money buying and holding than you do buying and trading. These are old, these are foolish um, pieces of wisdom that we wanted just to reinforce because investors of all experience levels trade too frequently. I mentioned that if you buy right, selling kind of hopefully takes care of itself, meaning you don't have to worry about it so much if you have the right framework. 6X and 10- 10Y We it was a goal we set out for the partnership portfolio, trying to identify companies that have the real potential to earn six times their value and over the next 10 years that's about a 20% annualized uh, return. Multibaggers can be game changing as we know and it's really painful to sell out of a stock that comes on to do to, to generate multi-bagger returns as David had highlighted with NVIDIA for those who lost patience and sold out of NVIDIA um, it's just, it, it, multibaggers can really change your portfolio and your life. So don't So don't sell or at least aim to sell very rarely.
0: Support for Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Like the economy, investing can seem complicated, but it doesn't have to be. A TD Ameritrade, one of their financial consultants, will take the time to learn about you and your most important goals, then provide a step-by-step plan to put you on track towards pursuing them. To schedule a complimentary goal planning session today, visit tdameritrade.com. Thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips tips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. This podcast runs on Slack, whether we're sharing articles to mention on the show, posting photos of our latest postcards, or just plain reminding each other what still needs to happen to make this show every week. It's a surprising amount of stuff. (laughs) Also, GIFs. Lots and lots of, or should I say GIFs? Lots of GIFs. Jif reactions. So with Slack, your team, and certainly our team, is better connected. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Sell,
1: sell, sell, sell everything you stand for.
2: Now, the reason we're here, there is a big old but, and there are times to sell and reasons to sell, and we understand that, so let's get to it.
1: Alright, we've, we've broken the reasons down into three buckets. and The first bucket is the fundamentals of the company. So if the fundamentals of a company either have deteriorated or you believe they are going to deteriorate, it certainly is one reason to look at maybe not owning that company. This could be revenues declining, margins are declining, profit is either declining or now there's a loss at, a comp- uh, at the company. Um, any, any of those reasons that would indicate to you that profits could be coming down in the future, um, it may not be a company that, that you want to own. Competitive landscape, you know, obviously, if a new competitor comes into a marketplace or if um, a existing competitor really d- uh, ends up having the upper hand and you own a company that um, is not going to really be a market share grabber in the future and the market share is going to continue to deteriorate, 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 again, that will hit the fundamentals, that will hit profits, and again, may not be a company that, that you want to own. Platform shift um, threatens an investment is a really interesting one. Um, what well, We were talking about Netflix as, as a, a good example of, of a, a game changer. The cloud in, in has the the been a platform
2: the, shift as well, too, that's just disrupted. I mean, look at IBM before they really started making a push. Oracle making a big push in the cloud before they were all on premise. So platform shifts like that are, are and the word is shift. Right. Shifts. I gotta remind myself. Shifts. Perhaps um, some of you have heard
1: yeah. of Kodak. Um, yeah. There was a company that um, did not benefit from shifts. It did not shift. shift. <laughs> right, did right. Not right. shift. Um, so these are these are typically big, trending ideas, really game paradigm shifting trends. Um, that it would it would be good if we could all recognize. Sometimes we we recognize a little late, but still better better late than never. Um, And the stock is extremely overvalued. And we're gonna continue to bring up this concept of valuation um, because it is somewhat controversial. Uh, And I think it's fair to say we think it is appropriate if a company is really, really and truly undervalued such that the fundamentals, no matter what you do, they don't make sense in terms of where this stock is selling. Um, And in that case, probably from a foolish perspective, in that case alone, we would recommend selling based on valuation. Value investors like me get a little more dicey about it all, but that's really a foolish principle. Um, and even David Gardner would say, perhaps that's not even correct, um, because he loves a stock the most when Wall Street idiots like me are saying, overvalued, 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 and, so.
2: Oh, sorry, Ron, what I was gonna say also is uh, something we didn't mention, but you know if you follow Tom pretty closely, is that you don't have to sell out of every, um, or sell down your entire position, in the Everlasting Portfolio, if you go to our portfolio, you will see one share of Intuit. You will see one share of MSC Industrial. So we are, we have kept one share, but that's to the extreme and not everyone um, wants to do that. Uh, but you also don't have to sell out of a complete position if it's you really think it's extremely overvalued and you're just not comfortable with it. Um, you know you don't have to sell the entire thing. You can pare back a little bit too. But And we can talk and take more questions about the, the valuation uh, because it is a a fun topic to discuss.
1: The next bucket, bucket um, we came up with is a portfolio management reasons to sell, and this this is kind of near and dear to my heart as a former portfolio manager, um, and, but, but a lot of these are actually foolish principles, not typical mutual fund or hedge fund principles. Um, and certainly the first one, I think, uh, is, and that's if you need your money in the next three years, your portfolio should not be fully invested. Um, as in my example where I have a couple years of college um, on the horizon, uh, it's inappropriate in, in our opinion to have that money in the market because you will not have the time to weather a severe correction, which inevitably will come. Um, so. Uh, that, that that's our best advice for that um, a position uh, becomes too large um we We heard someone earlier say uh, that would be a reason to sell now the word too large is in the eye of the beholder. What is too large for me too large is like five to seven percent but for for someone like really yeah probably wow. I, I, that, that's just a, a conservative nature of mine, but for some twenty five percent would be fine if yeah. if one stock was a quarter of your portfolio, you could sleep at night
2: from a Perspective of letting your winners run. Hopefully, those port- those those stocks naturally gravitate and make up more and more of your portfolio, and the losers make up you know less and less. That's what you you want to see, and 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 even um, I mean. Uh, Warren Buffett has talked about this too as well like those those big stocks make up a larger and larger percentage of, of your portfolio but it really it is down to the each individual investor and what you feel comfortable with understanding that especially if they may be a little bit more high beta or higher growth stocks where the valuations might start looking a little bit um, on the higher side, uh, understanding those those stocks could very quickly be cut. 20, 30%, and how would that make you feel in your portfolio? And the last thing you wanna do is act irresponsibly if that happens. So that's where you wanna be very comfortable with that that waiting level.
1: So you've, you found a better opportunity is an interesting one because it applies more to those folks that are managing a fixed portfolio, one that they're not adding to consistently. So if you are managing a fixed portfolio, you ideally want that portfolio to be represented by your best ideas at all times. And if you are fortunate to uncover a great idea, you may have to make a tough decision to sell your worst idea, even though you may like it, but in, in, in the world of where we rank things, your worst idea to free up capital for the new opportunity. And, and we, we don't like to do that. It's, it's hard to sell a stock that you've lived with for a long time, especially if you are a long-term investor. But if you want to maximize your returns and optimize your portfolio, then again, I, I think sometimes it's necessary. If you're able to add money, then it be, doesn't become as necessary because you can just buy that new stock and always just be happy with the next new one. You need to rebalance. So. This largely is based on your life experience where let's say um, as you're getting older you don't want as much exposure to stocks and some bonds may be appropriate, some cash may be appropriate, um, alternative vehicles other than stocks may make sense to you. And in those circumstances, rebalancing, reducing your position in stocks, increasing your position in other types of investments may be necessary, may help you sleep at night and may optimize your returns better for your stage of life.
2: Financial advisors love this. I mean, no offense to financial advisors <laughs> out there or who work at the Motley Fool, but they talk about rebalancing monthly, quarterly, all the time. ETFs do it. Uh it, it is we tend because we trade so infrequent frequently and we sell so infrequently just in general, um our portfolios tend to be very tax efficient and we don't have a lot of churn and that means that our portfolios would look out of balance relative to what a financial advisor may recommend based on you know some efficient market theory. Um, But it does happen and you will be asked if you do have money with a financial planner about rebalancing your portfolio. And it gets it really a lot of these get to comfort levels, but you hear that from financial advisors all the time. I wanna we we gotta rebalance your portfolio, get you more international exposure and sell some of your Netflix when it's at twenty (laughs) six.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, harvest tax loss is another one that um, financial planners like. There, there are some times where taking a loss to offset a gain will, will make sense. Um, Most of us probably don't focus on that too much, um, but it it can be financially beneficial. Um, Capital gains rates, we're all fortunate, long-term capital gains rates, we're all fortunate, are relatively reasonable at about 15%, um, but there are certain times where you can offset a big gain um, by taking a loss in a company that perhaps you're not too fond of um, and then being able to keep more of of that gain that you generated in a particular year.
2: When to sell, psychology and life choices. So I mentioned a little bit about this, I mean, behavioral finance and how we interact with our investments and how we treat our investments um, and think about them. So big one here, you're losing, you're losing sleep over the investment. I mentioned that earlier. Again, if it causes stress and meditation is not helping with that stress or exercise or eating lots of chocolate, whatever you choose to do. Um, If you're losing sleep, it's not worth it. And and I've been in that situation where I've had stocks um, that would qualify probably for some of the earlier ones from a valuation perspective that I didn't sell, um, and it actually ended up hurting our our returns um, because the stock then underperformed, but I also didn't feel comfortable with it, so so I didn't really follow my, my advice there too. Um, I should have I should have parted ways with that because I just I wasn't um, I literally was losing sleep over it, which is not good. Because That's, it's not it was, good. Yeah, well, because it was an investment for 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 you all. Uh,
1: your, your ethics um, at the Motley Fool, we not we try not to put our ethics on to you through our recommendations because everyone is obviously different. Um, but I I do encourage you to take your ethics and morality uh, into account when building your portfolio and whether it's not being comfortable because you think Facebook may. Um, not be what you thought they were, or it's a tobacco stock, or it's a company involved in genetic engineering, whatever it is. I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have your portfolio reflect your values. And David Gardner often says that it should reflect uh, the, the world, uh, the best world that you can envision is what your portfolio should reflect. I don't say it as eloquently as, as he does, but that's, that's the gist. Um, so I think it's perfectly acceptable to take your own ethics into account. And if something at a company changes, it may be time to, to say goodbye.
2: Uh, we invest to make money, I mean, uh, for, for ourselves, our future, our, our families, and um, uh, to put to use. So um, if you need that money to be put to use for some reason, family income situation has changed. Um, uh, vacation plan I mean, whatever it might be, buy a home which is how I use a lot of mine uh, in the past uh, few years, uh, if you need to use that money, you're going to have to sell some stocks even David Gardner did a few years ago and wrote a note to stock advisor members on why he was parting, back, parting with some of his uh, investments because he, he was um, uh, switching homes, so if you need to use the money um, you need to most likely sometimes sell that stock and the
1: same goes for, yeah. for being charitable, um, whether it's uh, giving money to family members or, or to charity, taking advantage of the, what is it, the $15,000 um, gift tax yes. exclusion on an annual basis. Um, sometimes uh, it, it either becomes necessary or you desire to free up cash um, for charitable reasons or to pass on to the next generation, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a great reason uh, to sell as well. Let's talk about some fun, fun ones where there's kind of a gray area and it's debatable. And, and I like this first one because you'll often see in foolish literature, this is kind of one of the first ones. It says, we sell when our original thesis is busted. And I, I actually don't buy that because I think um, if a thesis has changed, all that means is that now it's a, a new investment. It's a different investment and has to be reanalyzed in that vein. It shouldn't be an automatic reason to sell a stock. And a quick example, let's say you bought a company because you thought they were going to grow organically, meaning by itself, 5 you know, to 10% over the next 10 years. And then all of a sudden, the company announces it's going to go into acquisition mode and spend a decent amount of money and try to grow revenue 10 to 20% a year. So now your original thesis is busted. The company is now spending much more money than you thought. They're gonna be making acquisitions, which is always dicey, but they're gonna be growing much faster theoretically. So do you sell automatically or do you reevaluate and decide if that's a company you wanna own? I would prefer to reevaluate and see if that was a company that I wanted to own going forward based on the new information. The old thesis again is in the past. The new thesis is about the future.
2: Uh, the valuation is high, upside is limited. Um, again, getting back to valuation. So very nuanced here. Um, uh, we love to let our, as much as we can, let our winners run. And um, as investors who tend to invest in um, exciting technology, consumer-friendly stocks, those tend to trade at higher multiples of earnings and cash flows and revenues. I talked about today. I mean, that, that, that's a very, um, from a traditional valuation metric perspective, is richly values, and some people may might not even buy that, or some who owned it, especially because it's done so well, might wanna sell that uh, for a variety of reasons. I, I would not, I, I still think the long-term prospects for that business are, are, are pretty, pretty remarkable. However, uh, if if it is to a point where evaluation is, uh, comes into question, that is a debatable one to be able to think about, about selling, um, and how you go about thinking about is a stock richly valued or not, is is nuanced as we all know when it comes to valuation.
1: Yeah, I think that's the point. Theoretically, you wouldn't want to own a stock in your portfolio that you think would not be a market beater um, because you could replace that stock with the market, the S&P 500. Um, So then the question is, how do I tell? And that's where it gets dicey and it gets debatable because there's so many ways to theoretically tell if a stock is a market beater going forward, but it involves so many assumptions that you're almost invariably going to be wrong. Um, Us value guys try to get in the ballpark and try to get it more right than we get it wrong, but it's not an
2: easy thing to do. And by the way, Ron and I do actually talk about this a fair bit, which is if a company looks fairly valued based on whatever metrics you're using, it doesn't mean that stock's not gonna actually grow, and that company's not gonna grow. And a lot of times, in theory, it'll grow at its return on capital. So it doesn't just mean that a stock is, oh, it's rich, it's fully valued, now I'm going to sell, get it out, even if you are thinking from a valuation perspective. Um, So it doesn't mean stocks that that, um, look uh, fully valued won't actually perform and grow, they still might.
1: That's really important. So I I want to just reiterate something about that. When we put a sell recommendation on a stock, we're not saying that that stock is going to go down in the future. We're saying that stock is not going to generate future returns that are appropriate to whatever strategy we're pursuing, whether it's trying to beat the S&P 500 or, or another benchmark. So often we'll put up a sell and someone will come up to me and say, that stock, it's, it's up 4% since you, you said to sell it. And I'll say, yeah, but the market's up 10 it, it wasn't a market beater. So that, that's kind of a key distinction. A sell doesn't mean we say, we're saying a stock is going to go down. Allocation is too high. We've discussed this a couple of different times. Again, it's debatable. I gave my number seven-ish percent. Gets me a little nervous. Some folks 15%, 20% were fine. Um, it's it, it's it's individual and it's really based on your your own personal risk tolerance.
2: Key executive leaves and secession planning. So there are some who 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 um, wouldn't want to uh, own Berkshire Hathaway because the secession planning is not exactly clear. We don't know what's going to happen um, exactly after Warren leaves. Some may sell on that. Um, Elon Musk. We don't know uh, maybe what um, he has in store. So when you just think about. Um, Secession planning, given the, the consideration that we put on leadership at the organization, um, y- if you don't feel like they've been able to um, support the organization or can support the organization if an executive or a founder or a CEO leaves, that could be a reason that you may want to sell. There's, there are times when the leader or a founder uh, may be just so ingrained in the organization, um, like perhaps Tesla, uh, where that organization m- might go through um, some, some tough periods if that person were to leave. For the partnership portfolio, we can talk more about this later today um, during, that, during our main stage breakout. Uh, we did think a lot about founder-led organizations, obviously, but then also what's behind them. Do they have the kind of support from the c- corporation to be able to sustain it if for some reason um, a founder or a key executive left. Um, you know, with there's talk always about um, Sheryl Sandberg leaving Facebook to go run whatever company you want to name. Disney always comes to mind. Um, before when Robert Iger was going to leave. So if she left, would that be a reason to sell the stock? So it's it's um, it's it's not a reason to do it. We don't think um, straight away. However, it is something that you may want to uh, pay attention to if it happens.
1: And be wary of grandkids, sons and daughters taking over for, for an, a, an adult uh, father or mother. Sometimes can work out. Grandkids almost always screw it up, because um, by the time they're so, they've been rich for so long, it just doesn't work. I
2: think it is actually. I think study, there's a study out there that says like third or fourth generation owners of public organizations, as they get passed on and on, don't actually underperform the market. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's out there someplace. As for what to sell, um, so these these are again gets gets. Um gets uh, more nuance and more particular toward each individual. But start with the companies. This is this is our advice and, and uh, Tom, a lot of Tom's thinking. Start with companies that you've lost interest in. Like I said, I sold Express Scripts just because it was a small part of my portfolio and I didn't really feel like owning it anymore. They're, they're just, I didn't really have my interests. It's a great place to go. Look more at the bottom than the top. So again, start with your smaller positions, the ones that are less meaningful to your portfolio as a good start rather than um, maybe starting with your largest portfolios, um, which hopefully are the companies that you have the most um, confidence in. Right now, for me, it's Home Depot and Berkshire Hathaway.
1: So. Uh, again, as we said earlier, the, it's harsh, but the market really doesn't care what you paid for a stock. The future is the only thing that matters, not the past. So, so understand that. I wouldn't even look at whether you have a gain or a loss on a stock when deciding whether to sell it or not. It truly is irrelevant to the investment decision.
2: Remember core principles to your investing approach? like How you think about investing is this is your portfolio or your portfolio for your family, so how you think about um, your principles to investing is really important. Um, I have strayed from different, uh, over the years, different... um, uh, approaches that I just didn't really feel comfortable with and, and were owning stocks that just didn't really match the way that I thought about investing for whatever reasons when I got into the stock and so I wanted to part ways. And again, just that point, for you want to make your portfolio yours. David mentioned that earlier. You, as best as you can, you You want your portfolio to to really try to represent um, your belief in the world and and, and what you think, or at least start to get there in that that, um, approach, because then you're gonna be much more comfortable um, following those stocks, so if stocks don't really match uh, the way that you're thinking about the world. Um, like, like we sold a lot of uh, our, I had Philip Morris for many, many years. And um, after I got married, it didn't quite meet the criteria of my family anymore. Um, mostly my wife. Uh, so, uh, so we ended up selling the stock, same with Exxon Mobil.
1: Sounds good. Um, a lot of good questions have come in. I think we, we have some time to tackle some of them. This first one is gonna be so painful though. Uh, please, oh, it's painful's in the word, in the, in the sentence. Please describe a painful failure to sell situation you found yourself in. Any former investors in Horsehead Holdings in this room?
2: Oh yeah, both of us.
1: I apologize. Yep. Yeah, um, This was a commodity company, zinc-based zinc based company, uh, should have been a home run, really should have. I, I just said this to you two days ago. Yeah. I, I can't uh, let it go. Yeah. Company the went, company went bankrupt and it was on the wall that the bankruptcy was coming. But I felt, this is like, I'm just going to wait till I get even, but I felt if they didn't go bankrupt, it was going to be a multi-bagger. Bagger. And I held on and I held on until, so, I mean, the stock was selling at $0.10 cents, and Rich Griefner over at Inside Value was like, hello, are you going to sell? And I'm like, nope, nope, no, nope. at this point, I don't need the $0.10. Cents. You know, It's basically zero. And I held, held on right, in, right into, into the garbage, and, and there was a complete loss. Extremely painful, um, we learned a lot of lessons yep. about that. Don't invest in commodity cyclical type companies that have balance sheet challenges, I think is the takeaway there. <laughs>
2: um, I still have a Lucent Technology stock <laughs> certificate that I did not sell. Um, not very much, obviously, and then it went through all kinds of problems, but um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I I had gotten out of a lot of it and held some and uh, yeah, very painful um, lesson uh, when it comes to platform shifts um, to, to learn with, with, with Lucent, so.
1: Do your rules for selling change between tax-deferred and taxable accounts? So the answer mm. to that is, for for me it yeah. does in the sense that I'm more willing to to sell a stock that has a large gain, if it's in a tax-deferred account, because the, the, the ta- I won't have the tax bite. But I'm not sure that's necessarily a smart investment decision. The investment decision should be based on the merits of the stock going forward. Um, but sometimes taxes can be factored into into that equation um, because. It, that is that is a loss of capital that you can factor in but it gets a little bit kind of dicey there when you're when you're trying to decide whether you like a company for the long term and and your taxes come into to account yeah
2: that. i would think for me probably not as n- not a whole lot uh, there are some investments if you're looking for other ways to invest that capital that are um, when you're going to redeploy that capital that are better in uh, tax deferred accounts or not tax deferred accounts uh, with like MLPs, for example, but otherwise, n- not, I don't think a lot. To Ron, how has your investing change changed since becoming a fool? Capital F. You were a value investor and still are. What tools or ideas have you added or discarded since becoming a fool?
1: Hmm, how much time you got? Um.
2: And, and maybe, maybe tailored towards selling, too.
1: Okay, so I still am a value investor. I believe in valuation tools to help one make an an, an informed investment decision. But I always knew that I was notorious for selling a stock too soon. And I quite frankly, I justified that by saying it just makes me feel better. But I left a lot of money on the table and there are not a lot of multi-baggers in my past because of that. Um, So what I have learned to do is a little bit I haven't taken my value hat off, I've just put it askew a little bit, and I've, and I've let really strong companies continue to generate returns and reinvest capital at, at high rates, and I, over the years I've gotten more comfortable doing that, even if my Excel spreadsheet tells me to be careful. There is a time when it becomes ridiculous or extremely overvalued where I, I, will, I will cut ties, and valuation is always a part of my process, but it's just a little bit less of part of the process that it used to be.
2: Uh, is there a right amount of number of stocks one should have, uh, just in particular towards thinking about selling? I was talking to a few members today about this, um, especially as we continue to um, introduce new stocks into our universe. We have a lot of stocks out there that we have active recommendations on. Um, again, it's very, it's it's, it's really individually. We wanna make sure you're diversified enough to hopefully be able to ride out some of the volatility, although stocks are very correlated these days, so that that might not um, uh, quite work out. Um, we want we, we want all investors, uh, when they come into Stock Advisor, we really wanna to try to get them at least up to 15 stocks. Uh, then beyond that, it really starts to vary. Some of us own, uh, I think by last count I had um, I think almost 60, uh, if you throw in some of my kids' accounts. Uh, and some have even more than that, uh, and some have fewer. So it gets to be a little bit personal. It is very personal, but I would definitely strive to get at least more than 15 into, into, into your account, because that will hopefully give you a little bit of ballast.
1: There, there's a question about, to me, if, if Tesla is extremely overvalued or not. The way I will answer this question is, does anybody listen to the radio show Motley Full Money? We talk about Tesla a lot and valuation comes, comes up a lot. Um, so here's the thing, um, I don't own Tesla. I don't think I will own Tesla. And it's not necessarily because it's extremely overvalued or not. It's because I can't tell. Um, and the reason I can't tell is because I don't know what's gonna, what it's going to become. It's not a car company, it's not a battery company, it's an energy company, it's a lot of things, there's a lot of optionality, there's no profits, there will be profits. I, I just don't know. If I don't know, then it's called gambling to me. Um, so I choose to stay away. Tom Gardner believes in Elon Musk he thinks this guy is, is amazing and he will turn this into something incredible and Tom is completely comfortable owning Tesla as a result of that you know two mm-hmm. different sides uh, of the same of the same stock you know takes two to make a market
2: any suggestions on vehicles for keeping gains extracted for the next three years so I think that means if you take it out of stocks what do you put it in we, we know how little you're making into your bank accounts today um, I don't have any particular suggestions on in general about that I think the, the real spirit is you want to be able to access that capital as you need it um, the last thing you want to be able to the last thing you would want is if you um, need the capital for whatever reason you had set aside um, make sure you have uh, en- enough in savings, rainy day fund, uh, college expense, house payment, and then all of a sudden the capital is not there. Um, that would, that's, so you wanna make sure that that money is, is safely stored away in, in some investment vehicle and not really in something that's as capricious or mercurial as, as the stock market, um, which it maybe hasn't been over the past couple years, but it, it can be as we saw a little bit uh, this year and certainly 10 years ago
1: one of these days cd rates will come up to the point of where it's a fine place to put your cash uh, once again it's it's been kind of silly over over the last bunch of years where you you know what do you get 0.1 percent or something um but one day they'll, they'll they'll get back up there but be careful what you wish for because that takes its toll somewhere else
2: what should be considered when deciding to sell holdings versus incurring debt so i think in general we um we would say, and and uh, financial planners and and uh, Robert Brokamp, who runs our early retirement service and works with Ron on total income, has um, lots of advice on this. Uh, any high expense debt, uh, you you want to try to pay that off as much as possible. Um, this is just general monthly full advice. Uh, so so you want to try to pay that down. If you have equity holdings, that might be a good place to a good another good reason to sell. One we didn't quite address here, but from a use of capital perspective, that could be a good use of capital, especially if it's expensive credit card debt.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I personally am okay with mortgage debt relative to selling stocks to pay for a house, as long as mortgage rates stay where they kind of have been over the last decade. To me, that's a fine use of debt. Um, uh, My friend Buck over there and I sometimes have talked about even Taking money, equity out of our homes and putting that in the market. Now that gets a little dicey there, because because you're playing games. But when rates were three percenter, it was it was it was hard not to think about. You know, I'll take 3% debt all day long um, if I can earn 10% in the market. Um, but I'm not going to advocate that right now. But I do think mortgage debt, as long as rates remain reasonable, is a fine type of debt.
2: Yeah, and again, this is just general advice from the, from, uh, the Motley Fool for not any particular case. But I think um, that the high expense debt is something that you really, want to, uh, you really want to try to avoid as much as you can. And, and uh, at least certainly we want to teach our kids that as much as possible as well, too, which I know is, 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 is um, sometimes hard and tempting to do um, for, for kids.
0: That's the show for today. It's edited divestingly by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay Foolish, everybody.